0: All right, guys, welcome back to another podcast. we revving up history. This is vuelta, uh, the last podcast of 2019. Uh, just before we get going, right, since this will be the last one, wish you and your family, you and your friends a great holiday break. I know we still got two more weeks, so I'll see you plenty until then. But uh, it has been a pleasure this semester. You all are a good crew, and I appreciate you. Uh, so thank you for listening. Thank you for being good students. And let's get this, let's get this over with. All right, guys, so uh, for Chapter 16, the topic is the agony of reconstruction. Of course, what are we reconstructing from, right? That is the terror that was the American Civil War, right? Over uh, 500,000 dead, about a million or so injured. And of course, all the uh, turmoil that kind of comes about from that, right? The situation with now Freeman, 4 million freemen in the country, their political status kind of up in the air, things like that, and how to rebuild this country, right? And mend those wounds between North and South This is what it's all about. So not the longest chapter, but definitely very complex. And there's a lot of moving parts, So keep in mind, as this chapter begins, right, we already had the assassination of Abraham Lincoln in April of 1865. Of course, the surrender of the the South at Appomattox Courthouse. And uh, now the question is how to rebuild, how to reconstruct. So the North is basically split on reconstructing the South. And the key thing with this whole chapter is the president versus Congress, basically, and those two different perceptions. Now, what a lot of people point to is, you know, maybe had uh, Lincoln never been assassinated, Perhaps this goes a little bit smoother. You know, I tend to kind of agree with that, a little bit smoother, but a lot of those things were already there even when Lincoln was, in, was president. Now, we don't know 100%, right? There isn't a ton of stuff there, but as early as 1863, Lincoln seems like he's leaning, and he does announce a very lenient policy towards Reconstruction. And uh, Congress is a little bit kind of resentful of that. Uh, and what a lot of the Republican congressmen want, right, those Northern congressmen, Republican congressmen, is a condition of readmission into the United States being black suffrage, right? Or African-American voting rights. And they are very, very adamant about that. Now, part of this is the deal kind of with equality and with it's kind of the natural next step, right? With them being citizens of the country. But part of it is also self-serving and very political. The idea here for the Republicans is if they grant those 4 million African-Americans, right? Those the right to vote, they'll vote with them because they're the ones who granted them the right to vote, right? So, uh, you know, it is a bit self-serving but still, you know, pretty noble, uh, given the status they've had in this country for so long. So Congress really mistrusts those white Southerners, especially the planner class. And this happens almost in any war, right? Once a side wins, you know, a big fear for the Northern Republicans is how do you you really, really control the South and make sure they don't revert to their old ways? And we'll see that in the end, in a lot of ways, uh, that's exactly what happens. But uh, the North and especially radical reconstruction right under the Congress will attempt to kind of stop some of those things. All right, guys, so uh, now we have a new president, right? And the line of succession, of course, the president's ever assassinated or dies in office. The VP or vice president takes power. So in this case, we have a gentleman from North Carolina, a guy named Andrew Johnson, who's going to step into the office. Johnson's really an interesting character because uh, he's from the South, he's from North Carolina. So throughout the war, he's a VP, and his president is the guy carrying on the war against the South. And his own state is in open rebellion. It's so kind of a weird situation. But he finds himself at the you know, leadership position of this government, with now Lincoln being assassinated, and Johnson and Republicans uh, can still disagree on Reconstruction. Initially, Johnson instructs the Southern conventions. Basically, these are the kind of big meetings, right? Almost like little mini constitutional conventions in each of the uh, Confederate states, and he wanted them to meet a few conditions. Uh, that's declaring secession illegal, so they can never do it again. It is, uh, you know, outlawed basically, uh, or those states kind of announce that it is illegal. Uh, he wants them to deal with some of their debt, and he also wants them to ratify the Thirteenth Amendment, that you know that slavery is now abolished uh, in the nation. So the Southern conventions do meet, and they reluctantly carry out those directives, but they also pla- pass these things called Black Codes, which are you know kind of more subversive ways to strip African Americans of rights and stuff like that. We'll come back to those uh, a bit later. So Johnson approves the actions of the convention, kind of begins the movement towards reconstruction, but Republicans in Congress are outraged. They cannot believe this kind of happening. So they expect to get the African-American vote and they believe in that ideological, you know, uh, commitment to equal rights, even if some may not necessarily fully believe in it. And again, the fear is that the South would fall under the old planner class, right? The old, just going back to reverting to the way it was before. So 1966, Johnson vetoes two bills from the Radical Congress, the extension of the Freedmen's Bureau, which was founded to help people transition from slavery to free life, uh, giving them some land sometimes, some things to kind of start throwing farms. And they also questioned a civil rights bill to overturn some of those black codes involving things like uh, you know, voting rights and protection of, sorry, not voting rights, but uh, things that were targeting kind of African-Americans in the South. So. In response to this, the Congress is is very, very annoyed with uh, Andrew Johnson and basically kind of start to almost enact their own plan of reconstruction without Johnson. So they end up passing the 14th Amendment over the president. So again, uh, this is the second of the what we call the Civil Rights Amendments, right? 13 frees the slaves, uh, 14 grants them citizenship and protections under the Constitution. And uh, again, this is all meant to kind of, you know, the sort of Reply here to Johnson is, OK, you're going to block us any way we do it. We're going to pass amendments to go over your head. So it's basically a showdown between the president and Congress over how to you know, reconstruct the nation. So now that is kind of going to be under radical reconstruction, the South is placed under military rule uh, and it's divided into districts. Sounds like something from a movie. But, uh, you know, for example, the district Texas was in included Texas and Louisiana. But basically, there'll be a union general there with a union army meant to enforce uh, some of these uh, radical Republican policies. And basically, the idea being that they will be under, you know, sort of military rule until black voting rights are secured and they're guaranteed. So, uh, again, this ends up being kind of a big deal. And the, you know, we have the showdown right between these two kind of entities and stuff. Um, And we can fast forward a little bit. So just to review real quick, the Civil War amendments, right? 13 passed in early 1865 in abolishing slavery. 14 granting citizenship to to those freemen in June of 1866. And then in February of 1869, the last of the Civil Rights Amendment is one that protects their voting rights, right? And, uh, you know, the idea there is, again, an answer to the Black Codes, because what states were doing in the South, especially, were basically infringing on those voting rights by requiring all sorts of things before uh, an african-american person could vote and you know in other, in essence kind of taking away their rights through all these you know sort of ordinances and little laws and codes so 15th amendment to secure that all right guys so what follows that is you know because of johnson's kind of uh issues and his keep, keeps on butting heads with congress we have an impeachment crisis very fitting right with given things going on in our current administration but remember, we've only had in U.S. history, right, kind of, um, well, up to now, I mean, not to now. it's not even official yet, right, but three of these impeachment processes kind of happen, right? This is the first ever in U.S. history is Andrew Johnson, and again, it involves Reconstruction. Later on, we'll have Nixon and Clinton in the 1990s. But basically, you know, Johnson is seen as an obstacle to that Reconstruction, so Congress wants to limit his presidential power, and they get him on a kind of menial violation of something called the uh, Tenure of Office Act. So Congress impeaches him in February of 1868. The Senate does not convict him, um, but he's kind of like a lame duck president after that. Uh, in a lot of ways, a lot of people think this was like a show of power and to show that the radical Republicans in Congress were you know, gonna do whatever it took to kind of get him out of the way. All right, uh, going back to now Southern society, uh, we have a bunch of interests, right? So we have you know, the rise of kind of like a bunch of Southern whites who seek to keep the newly freed Freeman inferior. Uh, again, through codes and kind of local laws and all of these things. You have a big group of northern whites. Sometimes they're called uh, uh, carpetbaggers who travel from the north to kind of redeem the region or, sorry, not redeem, but to maybe uh, seek business opportunities and things like that. And then you have the freemen themselves looking for jobs, right, looking for opportunities, looking for equality. Uh, so these are kind of the different sort of components of Southern society that are trying to kind of work themselves out right in that uh, time period um, as far as land and labor. So ex-slaves, um, you know, were initially wanting their own land. The federal government was able to grant some people land, but a lot of those uh, lands revert back to, you know, the kind of big owners. And basically what goes on is a system of contract labor. sort think of thinking maybe like something like migrant farming today and something called sharecropping. So sharecropping kind of becomes you know, the dominant method for a lot of these former slaves and how they made money. But, you know, a lot of people compare it to something really close to slavery, because the way this would work is, you know, a big landowner would uh, kind of lease out or share crop a portion of their land, right? Maybe 100 acres, whatever, to an African-American and his probably his family, right? And But what you had was not a very equal relationship. Basically, part of that crop would be, um, you know, for the freeman to feed his family and to, you know, try to, get, to make some money from. But the rest of it went to the landowner, and a lot of times you had a very debt-heavy relationship where, you know, that African-American family relied on that big landowner for things like tools and those things. A lot of times they ended up in heavy debt. So some people have said that, you know, in a lot of ways, sharecropping was just another kind of version of that slave system, right? That labor system that uh, they were trying to kind of fight in the first place. So the South also gets increasingly segregated after the war, right, with black quotes. And these are sort of the things of like, you know, African-Americans are um, banned from certain establishments, you know, things like that. And then we, of course, have violence and discrimination on a very large scale. All right, guys, in the 1860s, we have Southern Republicans trying to organize and kind of uh, build uh, kind of a stable political base, Uh, but that never really happens. It's, uh, uh, you know, it never really has a chance to take off. Republicans do do some things to help like improve public education and transportation, but uh, the state legislatures uh, never kind of really come to fruition. So eventually, you know, what you have in the South is basically those former uh, confederates and all that kind of being restored to power. That's why they're called redeemers, because in the view of the Southerners, right, they're redeeming and bringing back the old South, the way things were. Uh, Let's see, some other things kind of going on and claiming uh, for African-Americans, there were some, you know, kind of minor victories, but uh, seen as very big victories. Things like, you know, finally legalizing marriage, right, which you weren't necessarily allowed to do under slavery. Uh, you could also form uh, organizations, church organizations, political organizations, schools. Um, so even though education, again, definitely not equal in all these things, you know, it is a big accomplishment uh, to finally be able to kind of take your part in society and so forth. Uh, good. Uh, some of the things also coming about from the federal leadership had to do with uh, once Andrew Johnson leaves office, he leaves S. Grant and wins the election. Uh, pretty Uh, Soundly in uh, 1868, but unfortunately, right. Even though he was a very gifted uh, general and accomplished his objectives as president, his uh, administration is dominated by scandals, and uh, you know doesn't really kind of give the probably the leadership that the country needed at the time. Uh, So some other things again, just to reiterate that 1869, right, the 15th Amendment passed that also enfranchises Northern African Americans. Uh, You know, some a lot of women's rights groups were upset at this because. Again, women have been also fighting for the suffrage rights for a long time. And again, they'll still have to wait about 50 years more or so to um, be able to get those voting rights. Uh, the, another kind of ugly part as we get here towards the end of the chapter are the rise of secret societies that use intimidation and terror to disenfranchise African Americans in the South, right? Of course, the most famous of those is the KKK, founded by a former Confederate officer. And, you know, the goal is intimidation, right? The idea that... You know, what this is kind of in a lot of ways, the southern, a lot of the southern whites were trying to do was kind of retain political control, because now with African-Americans being able to vote, even though they are discriminated and all that stuff, uh, the fear for them was losing that power something they were not willing to do. So, again, just the, uh, you know, very, very tough situation and a very tumultuous situation uh, in the south after the war. All right, guys, the I'm sorry. All right, so this leads us now to the next election. So after Grant's kind of uh, unfortunate terms in office, uh, we have uh, the reconciliation. You know, in a lot of ways, this is the end of Reconstruction, 1877, 1876. And uh, basically, you know, for African Americans, this is a very sad story. But a lot of those political gains that are made are kind of stripped away. And then big, big business interests kind of, uh, you know, take over uh, a lot of the region or whatever. And so all this is based on the election of 1876, the election for president. So basically what happens with that election is it's too close to call and it goes to the House of Representatives. And uh, the two gentlemen, kind of that are uh, in the race and too close to call are Rutherford B. Hayes, a Republican candidate and a Democrat named Samuel Tilden. So this election is extremely close. By all accounts, Tilden won the popular vote uh, by a few hundred thousand votes but the electoral college too close to call and the basically the deal that's made is called the Compromise of 1877. So what the what rep, Congress wanted in the Republicans is to basically retain control of the presidency, right, because they had it under Lincoln, Johnson, eventually anyway, uh, Grant, and then now under Rutherford B. Hayes. So they want um, Rutherford B. Hayes to be backed by the Southern Democrats. And the Southern Democrats do agree, but they have two main conditions. One is that they want money to help rebuild the South, right? Because a lot of it is decimated, rebuild the economy, all that stuff. They also want the removal of all remaining Northern troops in the South. And uh, they agree. uh, So they reach an agreement. Hayes agrees to kind of begin the process. And Reconstruction has finally reached its end. So the return or the restoration of the Redeemers in the South is basically, uh, you know, the uh, kind of emergence of white supremacy of the, uh, you know, these people kind of, restoring the South to a lot of ways the things that had been going on before. So, you know, what you have with the restoration of these redeemer Democrats was the exclusion of black voters, Jim Crow laws that kind of affirm segregation, right? Being restricted from restaurants, schools, all these sorts of things. And, uh, you know, in a lot of ways, the North bears a lot to blame in this too, because the North, once this deal is made, is not going to do a whole lot to preserve these rights and stuff. So again, a very ugly story and a very ugly end to Reconstruction. You also have other aspects of this with the rise of Jim Crow. You have lynchings, which numbered probably close to 200 per year throughout the decade of the 1890s. Um, You have Supreme Court decisions that do a lot to damage kind of the sort of civil rights accomplishments uh, of the time. And your your book kind of has a cool little anecdote just to kind of end with, with the story of a guy named Henry McNeil Turner, uh, who was... A uh, Southern African American who, uh, after Reconstruction or during the war, he supported the Union, eventually was elected to the Georgia legislature in Reconstruction. And so, you know, for him achieving, of being African American and getting one of these big positions is a big accomplishment. But then when the Georgia legislature is taken over by whites again, the Redeemers, they expel him and they, you know, kind of shows restoration of the way things were. And Turner becomes eventually a big kind of civil rights spokesperson and eventually is a backer of uh, returning African Americans to Africa, black immigration back to Africa. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it's sad that, again, he was someone who was an example of all the good that was accomplished, but in the end, you know, preferred relocation to Africa to staying in that sort of hostile environment. So, unfortunately, again, sorry to, history tends to be kind of a bummer, but hopefully we learn our lessons, right? At least we try to, and it just keeps us open-minded. But thank you guys again for a good semester. I appreciate you, You and there's only probably two of you listening. Thank you so much and we'll see you another time. Good night.